Lord, uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for the people sitting next to us and fellowshipping with us today, Lord. Um, We pray that we would be broken today and uh, that we would not go over any of our sin without examining it in reality, Lord. And we pray that as we're broken, that you would begin to put those pieces back together in your order, Lord, making us beautiful. So please let this hit our hearts deeply, Lord. Uh, Humble us, give us broken and contrite hearts, and uh, lead us to your arms. In Jesus' name, amen. So the elders are gone, which means I can preach as long as I want, right? So... Get ready for that. (laughs) Roseanne doesn't agree. (laughs) Um, We're going to start with the the title here, Despair, Repentance, and the Zeal of Grace. And uh, first things first, I think we should all open to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is kind of our uh, core verse, if you will. So it says on here, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 12. I'm actually just going to read 10 through 11. Um, But please join with me. So starting in verse 10. For godly grief. And that's that's the word um, we're going to be hitting on today. Uh, Grief. or despair. I think those are synonyms in this instance. Okay. So for godly grief or despair produces a repentance that leads to salvation. And that's where we're going to end up. I want to take us, you know, I want to lead us together, um, me included, to grief. <laughs> that's why this is going to be a hard one. Um, because grief isn't fun. Despair isn't fun. It's difficult. But that's where we're going to go first. And as the scripture says, it leads to salvation. So that's where we're going to go after. So we won't be stuck in grief and despair, I promise. It leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief, a different grief, produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. So it's earnestness it produces and now we're going to get into a bunch of other things it produces it produces an eagerness to clear ourselves it produces indignation fear longing zeal uh, punishment at every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter so that's where we're going to end I'd, all those points there um, are hopefully some some things that we experience today. <laughs> I know it's a little scary, but that's okay. Uh, we need to, I'm going to hopefully convince you guys that we need to experience those things, that we have to experience the difficult things. We have to experience despair and grief, um, fear, longing, zeal, even punishment in a way. And I'll get into, hopefully I'll explain those um, because there are 
wrong types of fear, wrong types of longing, wrong types of zeal, wrong types of punishment, all those things. So what spurned this, if we go to our outline, uh, but before we start our outline, what spurned this was uh, a conversation um, I had with my brother. And if any of you know, I'm very close to him, my brother Caleb, if some of you have met him. Uh, We're very close, and we just got back from a family vacation where we spent a lot of time together. And uh, I would say he's been my longest living brother in Christ, in a way. (laughs) I know once you're in the fold, everyone's your brother in Christ. Um, But he's been the ones that we've challenged each other time and time again. And uh, he's been reading a book called Deeper by Dan Ortland. Um, And I should have put this quote up, but I forgot to. So... Uh, this is a quote from that book that um, he shared with me and has stuck with me and is kind of the inspiration of this sermon. If you feel stuck, defeated by old sin patterns, leverage that despair into the healthy sense of self-futility. That, yeah, I'll read it again. <laughs> If you feel stuck, defeated by old sin patterns, leverage that despair into a healthy sense of self-futility. That is the door through which you must pass if you are to get real spiritual traction. And I think that's something, if you're a Christian, you want is real spiritual traction. So he's saying, leverage your despair and let it give you a sense of self-utility. And he says, let your emptiness humble you. Let it take you down. Not to stay there wallowing, but to shed the facile optimism. That's the, the optimism that doesn't produce anything, that isn't doing anything. Shed that. Shed that fake optimism that we so naturally believe of ourselves. All right, who here's an optimist? Hopefully you won't be after today. (laughs) I'm going to turn everyone into pessimists. No. (laughs) And then back into optimists. So, our outline here, first we're going to talk about the reality of sin. That's where we're going to start. That's where we all start. If you're a baby, uh, you start out as a viper in diapers and (laughs) sinful. And so we all get that start. Uh, In in our mother's womb, we were conceived in sin, right? We were sinful from the beginning, all of us. Then we're going to talk about the despair that that should produce in us. And how that leads to repentance. And then finally, here's the optimism part, walking in newness of life. So, the reality of sin. Get ready for this. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Can anyone tell me what all means? It does. Yes, you guys are right. All means all. In the Greek... Uh, in English, in Hebrew, in Arabic, all means all. (laughs) 
So, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That should scare us a little bit because we're, we should hope for the glory of God. We should hope to be there, right? That's the optimism part. That's the, the light. And it's saying we've all fallen short. That's, that's pretty scary. We should start to get a sense of that fear now. We're going to jump down to Psalm 51, verse 4. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Who's the psalmist talking to right now? Me? The Lord. Right. Against you, you only, God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Does anyone, uh, I, I think it's fair to say that in our culture we're pretty hesitant to use the word evil. I think we excuse a lot of things. Um, I think in one sense that's, that's good because we recognize that hopefully maybe Part of it is we're recognizing that we're all a little evil. But evil is evil, right? And we reserve that word for things that are truly like make you cringe. I call it the sick poopy feeling that you get when you see something truly evil. Like you, the depths of you sink when you see something truly evil and heinous. And we reserve that word for really bad things. I don't remember the last time I called someone evil. Think about that. When was the last time you called someone or something evil? Well, the psalmist here is saying, I do what is evil in your sight. And we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you have done what is evil in God's sight. So if... If the God who created heaven and earth can look at you and say you're evil or you've done what is evil, it's a little scary. It should be. We should have some fear right about now. We should fear punishment. We should fear indignation. So, Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Here's another, another one. Who's the ungodly? Us, right. <laughs> wrath is a big word too. I don't know the last time we used the word wrath. Has anyone ever, you know, used that word in normal language? Probably not, because it's, it's pretty extreme, right? God has wrath waiting for us, for the ungodly. That's what they deserve, and that's everyone. So we, we've seen now sin affects all of us, um, and that, that puts us in a really bad state before a holy God. And to make things worse, 
this sin is like really difficult to overcome. In fact, I'd say it's impossible in our own strength. We're going to jump down to John 8.34. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, not just truly, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins, which is who? Who sins? All of us, okay. So that means this is for you. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. How easy is it for a slave to escape? Not very easy. And not without sacrifice. We're slaves in a foreign land under a master who wants to destroy us, to kill us, to steal from us. We're slaves to this master. All of us. So, we're in a pretty bad state. (laughs) Let's go on to the turning point here. All right. So I've just laid out the reality of sin, and and the reason I chose the word reality is because uh, another thing about our culture is, I think in the West we use this term like your truth a lot. Uh, See, there's a lot of verbal cringing in the audience because that's not true. There's no such thing as your truth. There's the truth. There's the reality. Truth and reality are the same thing. And uh, us saying your truth is a way that we try and escape acknowledging something. That's difficult to understand. That's difficult for us to approach or something because it is so ingrained in our culture that a lot of us have grown up hearing your truth, my truth, our truth. And when we hear that there's a the truth, it's very scary because now we have to be accountable to something other than ourselves. Like I said, this message is going to be very uncomfortable and hopefully it already is uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable up here. I just want you to know that. Um, the, the reason I chose this when the elders were gone is so I wouldn't be kicked out of the church. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Kick us off YouTube, Josiah. No. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. But we need to be in reality about this. Like, we need to. If, if you can't start in reality, you can't move forward. Okay? Um, I use this example a lot. Uh, this is one of Sam Monty's favorite stories. Uh, I, when I was in college, I was a broke college student, as most of us are or were, um, or are going to be. <laughs> um, and I had this really old car. I mean, it was like two decades old. And uh, it started making noises, and the check engine light came on. And, of course, the natural thing that anyone who uh, doesn't have any money does is they turn their stereo up. (laughs) Out of sight, out of mind. My reality was that my car's not broken, right? (laughs) The reality was that two weeks later, the car died completely, (laughs) right? So, lesson learned. 
uh, my reality doesn't trump reality. And if I had acknowledged the issue, um, the least that could have happened was I could have got a jump start on finding a different car. <laughs> but that's what we've got to do right now. We've got to acknowledge the problem. We've got to acknowledge the noise that's going on and the reason our check engine light's on. It's because we're sinful. In fact, it's a commandment from God. So if you, even if you don't believe what I'm saying to you right now, if you don't acknowledge what I'm saying about reality or the fact that we need to recognize our sin, uh, if you call yourself a Christian, the Bible commands you to. So take it up with God. <laughs> Jeremiah 3.13, only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God And this is really scary. You scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. We've scattered our favors. Um, A a sad thing is, is Sam kind of set me up with this. I love that he at least gave you the good message of God loves you this morning. I suggest go back and listen to it after this. Um, but he mentioned a story about uh, a dad who gave his son a set of baseball gloves so that they could play baseball together, right? This was his gift. Um, he's saying, I want to spend time with you, son. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's far-fetched to imagine a world where a son receives that gift from, gift from their father and they reject it. It's a good gift. It's a gift we should all want. Uh, to spend time with our Father. And what the Bible says is our Heavenly Father, we've rejected those gifts. And we've not obeyed His voice. You know, in another place in the Bible, it mentions how He's the Good Shepherd and His sheep know His voice. But what does it matter if we know God's voice if we don't obey it? And that's where we're at. We need to acknowledge that that's what we've done, right? If we sit there in the pews today um, and hear this and think, okay, maybe I did do that once, but now I've, I've changed and I don't, I don't ever reject God's voice anymore. I don't disobey him anymore. I don't scatter his gifts before people who weren't set to inherit it. You know, I had to sit there preparing this message and uh, got almost to the end and thought, wow, I wasn't even, like, I didn't even consider my own sin. (laughs) How did I get through this whole message? Um, So please don't make that mistake. If I leave today, just like Sam said, if I leave today and you don't get that you're sinful, um, I've failed. (laughs) So I sat after preparing this message, like right in the middle of it, and spent like half an hour or an hour just mourning over my own sin. Because it's there. I do it constantly. I need to acknowledge that. So, this is where we're at. We acknowledge it. Now, what do we do with this truth, this reality that we're sinful? Do we rejoice over it? 
Is this the thing that we should be glad about, that we're all sinners? At least we're all in this together. We can commiserate. No. This is where I said, first, we're going to go deep. We're going to go down to the depths. We're going to go down to the pit. This, this is, uh, we're going to feel those feelings of fear and guilt and heaviness and emptiness, and we're going to feel it. So please, as I'm, I'm reading through these verses, feel the weight of our sin. John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is our warning. If we don't go deep and go down right now, if we don't let this crush us and in a way die a death to ourselves, um, we'll remain alone. But if we're crushed, we'll bear much fruit. So hear that. Proverbs 3.34 Toward the scorner, he is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. It's to the humble that he gives favor. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Uh, a term we use a lot as Christians when we're talking about our, our walk, our faith, we use the word, I was saved, right? Salvation is a big word that is in scripture all the time. Uh, it's, it's one of the promises of receiving Christ's salvation, right? But Psalm 34, 18 says, God doesn't just save anyone, he saves the crushed in spirit. Let's, let's think of an analogy here. We'll get further into this, hopefully, but let's think of an analogy um, this will take us into our next uplifting part. If you got two people drowning out at sea and they're on either side of a boat and one's screaming out for help and the other is not saying anything, who do you think is going to get saved? Right. What about the person who's on the other side of the boat and in their reality, they're just out for a swim. They haven't realized that they're drowning yet. So they're not crying out. Are they going to be saved? Probably not. That's another thing. Uh, on our vacation, we were at the beach, and uh, one of the days they put up a red flag saying, you can't swim today because it's too dangerous. Why? Because of rip currents. Um, rip currents are currents that kind of come into the shore, but then they come out in one column right out to sea. And it's near impossible for even a strong swimmer on a really bad day to swim against a rip current and get back to shore. Okay, So imagine there's tons of people. This happens regularly to people that go to the beach. They're sort of okay at swimming. They want to go out boogie board, whatever they want to do. And they're just out for a swim. And then 10 minutes later, they realize they're a quarter mile away from shore. How are they going to swim back? They weren't paying attention. 
Now, even if they wanted to cry out for help, they, no one would hear them. But if we're aware of our sin, if we acknowledge it and it's before us and we're down in the depths and, and we acknowledge the sin, we can cry out to God. That's our key point. So right now, I know this is not a fun sermon. This isn't a comfortable sermon. This isn't painless or clean. Um, because when we go down, I, I mentioned a pit. This is a pit we're going down to. And the Bible mentions uh, this pit and calls it slimy, calls it desolate. Um, we'll get to that verse that mentions this. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 40, verse 2. So the New Living Translation translates it this. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. Out of the mud and the mire, he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walk along. So that word despair, he lifted me out of the pit of despair. Uh, when I looked at all the other translations, it translated it, like I said, slimy pit, uh, desolate pit, uh, pit of destruction. And I know it's strange that I'm asking you to join me as we go to this pit. <laughs> uh, but this is the pit where we are crushed. This is the pit that um, opens our eyes to our need. So please, this is another one I want everyone to turn to Hebrews 4 with me, please. Hebrews 4. This is a long passage with... Uh, some things I want to emphasize. So it would probably be easier if we were tracking along in our, our Bibles. And I think this one's where things start turning, right? I labeled this section, let the despair cast you into the Lord's uplifting arms. Right? Um, another thing that another quote from this book, Deeper, by Dan Ortland. Um, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, he mentions letting the despair take you to God's open arms. You know, Christ, we're picturing Christ with open arms, just as they were open on the cross. So that's an important Christian uh, Discipline. Let's call it a discipline. An important Christian discipline is to go to the cross. And what are we going to find at the cross? Are we going to find God like this? Are we going to find Christ like, hmm, I saw your sin. I saw how slimy that pit is. I don't really want to go there. Or is it arms wide open on the cross? Right? That's, that's the Christ we're going to. So, Hebrews 4. And we're going to start in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. But guess what? We will fall to that disobedience. <laughs> For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints 
and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Um, So this is saying that God sees us. He sees our sin. And not only does he see our sin, um, you know, it says the word of God is doing this. And so not only does God see us, but whenever someone asks you to read your Bible, like I'm asking you to right now, like we're doing collectively together in Hebrews, the act of reading it cuts to your heart. It does this. It exposes you to light. It exposes the the reality of who you are. And, you know, oftentimes that's why I don't read my Bible is I'm afraid of what I'll find out. But we should. We need God to see us. We need him to look down into the pit that we're in because once he sees us, this is the truth. Verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He doesn't look at us in the pit and say, how'd they get there? (laughs) How'd you let yourself stumble into that pit? He's able to sympathize with our weakness. He's one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, let me go back to this. He's been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Uh, When Christ died, it says he went down, right? He was taken down. Um, Like, Christ was, you know, he is God, and he, he decided that because God the Father loved us so much, that he loved us so much, that he would descend from heaven into, I mean, I guess you can call earth a pit. <laughs> you know, sometimes it seems very desolate <laughs> and like a place of destruction and, and very slimy. And Christ came down to be with us. He's been here. He's been in that same place. He's felt our sin because our iniquities were laid on him on the cross. So this is where we get confidence then. We hear this. We cry out to God. We say, God, we're in this pit. Um, Our sin is like, like a great chasm that we would never be able to cross. And on this side, we're in a slimy pit. And on that side, we're with the Lord. And we're good. Our confidence, the reason we can draw near to this throne is because it's a throne of grace. So let us then, with confidence, and I'm preaching to us right now, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may have that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are in a time of need. That's always before us. Our sin has put us in a time of need. This is like an emergency, guys. Like, I want you to get how much of an emergency this is. We're not okay. 
If we ever forget that we're not okay, that's when we're in danger. That's when the riptide carries us out further and further from God. We're not okay. Every day, we can look at ourselves and say, I'm in a time of need. That's where we find mercy and grace. Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Uh, and then it goes on, and, and Paul makes an argument. He says, so should we, is, is this saying that we should sin more so that we have more grace? It's like, by no means, right? Um, the answer to get more grace is not to sin more, okay? Uh, what I've come to understand this first meaning is that where, we, where our sin is more revealed to us, where we acknowledge our, the depth of our sin, and when something's revealed, it looks bigger, right? It becomes more, okay? If, if the people on the Titanic had seen how big the iceberg was under the, underneath the water, maybe they wouldn't have died. <laughs> but if they... It's a bad analogy. I'll think of another one next time. Like I said, I was, I was too distraught over my own sin while writing this sermon. Uh, I'll promise another analogy another time. But where sin was increased, where it was more revealed to the person, where we see the depth of it, that's where we receive more grace. Okay, another term, I, I really like this, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Okay, the one who makes the most noise, the one who uh, cries out the most is the one who receives the most grace and mercy. Every saint, every person, Every believer, uh, every Christian I know who has made it really far in the faith and has the most fruit, most peace about them, most joy about them are the ones who are constantly telling me how sinful they are. The ones who are always thinking about, they go to this pit often. But I want to emphasize here, the calling out thing is that we're, we're not just there. We're in this despairing pit, but we don't just stay there. Uh, it, this is a crossroads, okay? This, this pit, it's a crossroads, not a highway, okay? It's an intersection. We don't spend time there. We go through it and we move on. It's a doorway. It's not a house that we live in. Okay, we need to go there and quickly realize that God's there to lift us out of it. That's why I say the despair should cast us into the Lord's uplifting arms. Because he's given us these promises. He's given us the confidence to draw near and find grace and mercy. It's going to be quick. Again, let's look at 2 Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance we're there, we, we grieve, and then we repent. And that leads to salvation, like that. It happens. But if we go to this pit, we can stay there and not cry out to God. We can be caught in the rip current and just say, well, you know, I, it's my fault that I'm out here. Uh, you know, 
why didn't someone save me earlier or something? Or we can mumble to ourselves and not cry out to anyone. And then, of course, we're going to die because <laughs> we're stuck in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> That's what worldly grief does. We grieve over our circumstance. We grieve over where we're at. And we don't seek God's mercy and grace. Uh, and we won't get it, right? Um, if, if you go to the doctor, okay, and they ask you a bunch of questions, and you're like, man, that's personal. I don't want to answer that question, right? You're doing yourself a disservice because uh, if you don't tell the doctor, the doctor can't help you, <laughs> right? And you could come back, you could come back like years later to the doctor, almost dying, and and they could be like, "How did you get this way? You seemed like you told me everything was fine. You know, like you didn't tell me that you were feeling pain here and pain there, and you had these symptoms." And it's like, "Well, you never asked," you know, like. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Uh, no one's going to help you if you don't ask for help. <laughs> you know, if, if you're getting ready to move, right, and no one shows up to help you move, uh, I'll say if you ask people to help you move, that's a bummer that no one showed up. But if you didn't ask anyone to help you move, then why would someone show up to help you move? <laughs> if they didn't know, how are they going to show up? If you have a wedding, you're going to send out invitations with the time and the place, right? But if you, you throw a whole wedding and don't send out invitations, don't be surprised when no one shows up, right? Like, that's a, a key point here. Like, let's get to this pit of despair, but quickly call for God's help. So, what benefit does this play to ourselves? Why should we be in the pit? What's good about it? I could have spent like a whole day just listing out a bunch of verses. Um, but here's, here's three real quick because close to the end. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, faith in what? That Christ is going to be there when we call out to him. Because of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. Does anybody here want peace? Is anybody here tired of living a life full of anxiety and turmoil? This is an amazing promise. If our sin, if we don't, if we don't acknowledge it, we may be able to kind of cover over it, but it's still going to be there causing anxiety and turmoil in our lives. And maybe you're sitting in the pews right now thinking, I'm anxious, right? I'm depressed, but I have no idea why. Maybe you haven't acknowledged your hidden sin. Or that you are sinful. Or that the life you're leading isn't beneficial. 
And if you want to get rid of that anxiety and have peace, the process is the pit and then the cross, and you're lifted up into the Lord's arms. Romans 15, 13 promises us, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. John 8, 12 says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Um, If you want homework, actually you do want homework, I'm telling you. So here's the homework. Uh, Read Psalm 51, okay? All of it after this. When you go home, read Psalm 51. All right? So that's your first homework. And then the second one, this is the optional one if you don't want to feel as depressed after leaving this sermon, is go through and find more verses about the newness of life, the promises that God's offered in him. Um, Like I said, I could have spent hours going through here, and this whole thing could have just been me reading verses about how good it is to be living through Christ Jesus' sacrifice. So let's get to communion, and if the communion servers can get ready. Matthew 26, 26 through 27 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. This is the cup of wrath. Remember when I said, Wrath was waiting for all sinners. Christ took that cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. Christ was broken. And God's wrath was poured out on him for us. In our place. We deserved that outcome. So, let us go down to the pit and consider this and join Christ in that and cry out to God. The Lord gave us life instead of that death. And so, as we come to the table, let's be lifted out of of the pit and rejoice because we're alive. We've been made alive and we have confidence to enter into God's throne. So, please come forward.